last week we uh, kind of started down the road with just the very opening part of chapter 21 that uh, I shared with you was kind of my Sunday school question that never got answered by the Sunday school teachers. Um, I remember reading this section of the Bible, um, that very first verse, then I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth and the first heaven and the new earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I'd read those words and they had just lodged in my mind and there I am in Sunday school saying to the teacher, uh, could you tell us about this new earth? And, uh, and they couldn't. They really, they really just, that, that even wasn't even in their mind. Why? Well, because, you know, most of us grew up in a church, and I'm sure my Sunday school teachers grew up when they were kids in a church that said, when you die, you go to heaven. And then we have these different pictures of what heaven is. And uh, no matter what your picture is, it tends to, heaven always tends to look like whatever you loved here on earth, but more of it, right? Um, or if you think of it this way, sometimes things in heaven are actually in reverse. So I, I tell people, uh, in heaven, broccoli will be high-calorie food, right? <laughs> you know, uh, chocolate donuts, that's low-cal, low-fat, oh yeah, right? Well, we kind of make that stuff up, and, and it's not right. It's not true. Um, nor is the idea that when you die, you go to heaven and just stay in heaven. Um, that's kind of been what we, we grew up with. And when you, you read the Revelation, for the first time, you look at these words, a new, new heavens, the word is uranos, so it's, it's talking about our, our solar system, the entire universe, the entire created universe, if you will, um, is, is passed away and replaced with new ones, okay? Uh, it have to be. Why? Well, because when God created the earth and created our atmosphere and created the, the um, uh, solar system and universe that exists, it was perfect. It worked the way he wanted it to work. With sin, everything breaks. And what God does in, in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis is hard for people to understand. Why do we have tornadoes why do people in california you know talk about the big one that's that's coming you know if you live if you live in italy right next to next door to the volcano vesuvius why why are you maybe wondering when that thing will go off uh, again well the earth is broken who broke it this is the strangest thing that people don't get when you look in genesis 3 god did he took his perfect earth after Adam and Eve sin, and he puts a curse on it. He puts a curse on his own creation. We don't get that. We're like, well, why would you do that? Well, because God says, I'm going to make sure that no human being that comes into the world after Adam and Eve think that this is where you're going to live forever. I want people to know it's broken. And sin broke it. And so the, the, the very existence of these, what we call natural catastrophes, is actually supernatural. They're the results of a curse placed upon the earth. Why does God do it? Well, we've said this multiple times in this class, that the curse's intention, the curse, is, the curse on the earth's intention is to do what? Is to cause people to have to say, I don't like this. 
This isn't good. Is this the way it's supposed to be? No. It is meant to do what? To cause people to say, we don't have the answers. Uh, I mean, um, last night Ann was on Facebook and she says, look at these pictures of Grand Island. And um, I guess it was an anniversary date, right? And so we were kind of skipping through those pictures, looking at the, the, the big seven. By the way, Grand Island, Grand Island, that, God, God's doing something here. You send seven tornadoes? That's the Jesus number, right? I mean, Grand Island had a come to Jesus meeting on that night, right? Kaboom, boom, 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 boom. And uh, so we're looking at these pictures. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, look at that. Look at that street. Look at what the world wants to say, well, who would do that? We smile, and the, the guy on the, the, the 10 o'clock news puts the camera, camera on you and the microphone, and the pastor says, God did. And everybody goes, oh, how, that, how could that guy say that? That's wrong to say. No, God did that. Why would you say that? Well, what's God trying to say to human beings? Try and stop tornadoes. Can you? Nope. Stop tidal waves. Now listen, you'll save a lot of lives. Stop mosquitoes from carrying around little viruses. Have at it. And you know what human beings say? We can't. We can't control it. God says that's the whole point. You're not in control. I am. It's broken. Sin broken. Don't get comfortable here because here is not where you're going to live. It's broken. I have to fix it. And God says, when I return, I restore all things. I restore relationships. I restore the earth. I restore the universe so that it works the way it was actually intended to work when I created it. So you pick this up. Uh, when you read this first line in chapter 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth. The old have passed away. They've died, all right? And they were put to death by God at that point of the judgment when God says, I fold it all up and burn it in a second and now recreate it the way that I intended it to be in the first place. Last week I said to you, is this new to you? Is this thinking new to you? And, and a lot of you have said to me over the course of this last week, yeah, it's kind of new to me. I, I grew up uh, kind of like you're saying in the church that said, we go to heaven. I've always kind of pictured myself there, you know, going to meet up with grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, and we're going to be there forever. So this idea of a new earth is, is kind of new. It's not new in the Bible, right? Last week, we looked at uh, a scripture reference in Isaiah. And uh, we're 700 years before Jesus Christ is even born. And you have this old prophet saying, what? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. A um, couple of other references I want to look at with you that to me um, both verify, uphold, sustain the idea that this, this new earth picture is given, is given throughout the scriptures, not just in the Revelation. But also some language that kind of challenges us to think a little bit about what life on that new earth is going to look like. And I, I will tell you up front, there's no way for us today with bound and broken human minds to fully comprehend what God is talking about when he talks about life on the new earth. But we're going to dig into it just a little bit today. Last week we looked at Isaiah. Let's turn over to 2 Peter 3. 
Uh, this is the second key reference that just uh, backs up, verifies that um, this idea of a, of a new earth is not, not new. I think we looked at this last week as well. We'll go through it more quickly. This, is, uh, this, this section of, of 2 Peter chapter 3 is, is titled, The Day of the Lord Will Come. So, yeah, new earth is, is created at, at Judgment Day. When, when the judgment is, is completed, the earth is, is destroyed and remade. Okay? Um, when Peter writes this letter, he um, starts off with these words. He says, this is the second letter I'm writing. Uh, in both of these letters, here's what I'm trying to do. Stir up your sincere mind. Okay, I'm stirring your mind up. You know, the Bible certainly does that. It stirs our minds up. I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay, so something's going on. As Peter is writing these words, he's saying, I'm going to stir up your mind. I want you to think about what the prophets prophesied about, right? And what the apostles taught us. Verse 3, knowing this first of all, just know this. What I'm going to tell you about will be laughed at by other human beings. That's what he's saying in verse 3. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. You know, I, I don't know why, but there's a, a face that kind of comes to my mind when I read those words. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of folks that are public figures that will say things about Christianity that are not very supportive. But there's some figures that are just downright scoffers. They poke at Christianity, right? Um... One of those is, is this comedian, Bill Maurer. And um, for years now, he's made it part of his platform uh, to, to incorporate into his comedy this poking at Christians. And you can tell that it's so much inside of him that he, he actually paid for, produced, and, and, and created a, a movie a number of years ago, to spew out his hatred towards Christians, particularly. If you've never seen the movie, um, it's called Religious. Religious. And in the movie, when you watch it, you know, I always warn people, when you watch it, it won't make you happy. But what he's trying to do is take each of the different world religions and poke at it and make fun of it. And with Christians, he spends a lot of time. But he gets, he gets a kick out of coming up to Christians and saying things like, like um, are you the people that believe in talking snakes? How would you answer that question? Yeah. If, I mean, somebody comes to you and says, do you believe that a snake talked? Does it sound very reasonable to say Yes. It doesn't, does it? You, sound, you kind of sound like a fool. I mean, if you're in your biology class at UNL and you say, hey, um, I think a snake talked. 
I don't think you're getting a good grade. I don't think the teacher is going to say to you, yeah, of course snakes talk. They'll be like, oh, that's just a, it's a religious story. It's religious. It's, it's funny. But to, to actually be a Christian and to hold the, the idea that the Bible is, the, is, is this word of God, that it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a historical record, that unless, unless the scripture itself tells me I'm not to take it literally, I take it literally. Are there places where we don't take the scripture literally? Yes and no. When Jesus, when Jesus tells a parable, all right, for me to take the parable literally means that I understand it figuratively, right? I know it's a parable, it's a story, it's an, earth, it's an earthly story with a heavenly point. I get that. When you read Genesis, there's nothing in any part of Genesis that presents as anything other than a historical record. Do you believe in talking snakes? Yes, I do. Okay. So what we, have to, what we have to recognize is that when you start talking to people about a new earth, about a moment in history where everything that you see around you goes boom and flames, and then boom, a new earth is created, people look at you and they think, what? Well, that's, that's been going on a long time. Peter's writing these words and he's saying, you've got to remember the prophecies and what the apostles taught us. But know this, there's going to be scoffers that are laughing at you. And I'll tell you why they're really scoffing. Here's my question. Why did Bill make that movie? If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe that there is a God, why bother spending a lot of money, putting a lot of time into some kind of a, a movie to, to disprove him. You didn't even believe in him. Why would you do that? Well, when you listen to the guy, despite the fact that he's a comedian, you know what I hear inside of him? Bitterness. Hatred. Something's going on inside that boy. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what that is, but something is deep inside that boy. Okay? What is driving that? Well, I like the way Peter says it. They're following their own sinful desires. You know what your most sinful desire is? Play with this with, a, with me for a minute. If I said, what is your most sinful desire? To be, God. to be God. Yeah. I mean, we could come up with a list of things that we desire, right? That are sinful. We think about it. But the most sinful desire that you and I have is the desire to be in control and to be our own God. And that's exactly right. Uh, I think what, what drives a lot of scoffing is the fear that our, our old Adam has that if God is God in my life, I have to do what? Submit. Obey. Become a part of who he is. And I don't want that. My old Adam says, I, do, I submit to no one. I am obedient to no one but myself. And so that's what he's saying is scoffers scoff, but there's a reason underneath it. It's not just to, to, to laugh. There's a brokenness inside of them that desires to be God, and they're not. Okay. So verse 4, he says, they're going to say, hey, you Christians keep talking about a return of Jesus Christ. When is it? That's their scoff. Yeah, you've been talking about this since your fathers fell asleep. How many years have you Christians been saying that this Jesus is going to return? When is it going to be? Verse 5. Here's what they overlook. 
They deliberately overlook. Okay, that, that, that word right there is, is important to me. There's an intentionality when I'm driven by the desire to be my own God. There's an intentionality that causes me to say, I will not look at that word. I will not consider that word. There's the deliberateness about it. If that deliberateness continues in a person's life, see, see think about this with me. If, if I'm an atheist right now, if I'm, if I'm Bill or whoever, and I want to be my own God, and I'm deliberately pushing against the Word of God, what is the Spirit of God doing? Pushing back. There's not one human being on planet Earth that the Spirit doesn't want to save. Not one. The most hardened terrorist on planet Earth who hates America and wants to destroy it the Holy Spirit of God wants to convert, wants to bring to faith. Okay? But the more you push back against the Spirit, I will not consider that. I will not listen to you. The more endangered you become of reaching that point where you are no longer redeemable. You can't be saved. Okay? Now, none of us, none of us want to believe that of any human being. All of us want to believe that every human being to their very last breath is redeemable? It's not true. What the Bible tells us is there is an unforgivable sin. And it's the sin that takes place when I, desiring to be God, push away the Spirit, push away the Spirit, push away the Spirit, consciously say, God, no, you cannot be a part of my life. And the Bible says, it is the sin against the Holy Spirit that becomes the unforgivable sin. Now, good news is, you and I don't know if or when that ever happens in another person's life. So we always operate under the assumption that every person we meet is redeemable. God sees it differently. He sees your heart. And uh, by the way, just side note, um, the reason that I think, I think for me as a pastor, I, I stay committed to seeking to serve people um, who, are, who are living in a way that we, we publicly know is out, outside of God's grace. If a person is in a gay relationship, if a person is... Um, a stripper at a bar, if a person is um, a drug addict. The reason I want to I love that person and seek to bring God's grace into that person's life is um, I know something. I know that the more that person continues in that way of life and says, I will not listen to what God says, I will not listen to what God says, the harder their heart becomes and they become endangered of the sin against the Holy Spirit. And so I, I really have a conviction inside of me is, as a body, as individuals and as a body, don't, don't stray away from, but in fact go towards those people that are stuck in these places where their desire is pushing God away. Go to them. 
love them, speak the truth to them, and seek, seek out the Spirit's work of conversion in their life. Because the harder their hearts get, the more in danger they are of that moment. Okay? So that word to me in this text is very critical. They deliberately overlook this fact. What fact? Verse 5. That the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. They overlook all of that. Everything we call history, from creation to the flood to the restoration of mankind through the line of Noah, we scoff at it. We are not going to listen to that. Okay? Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for, just waiting for, fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So what, what Peter is saying really is the same thing that we're reading when we get to this 22nd, 21st uh, chapter of Revelation, is this idea that the prophets and the apostles taught this. This is not new stuff. That where we are going is towards this new earth that God will put us on and that we'll live upon forever. And in the meantime, this destruction of the world that is broken by sin. Okay? So it's not a new idea. Okay, I want you to get that into your minds third reference I want you to get, and this one's probably the toughest of all. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be able to comprehend all that Paul says, but flip with me over here to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Usually when we go to a graveside uh, for a funeral, you know, there's, there's different liturgies that have been created over the course of time to use at the graveside. Um, what you're there for is to bring some closure to, to a family. Most all of us have had to gone through this. There's something beautiful about that moment where we're able to say, you know, God created this body, God redeemed this body together with this soul, and God will keep these remains until the day uh, when he will come again. And to, to walk away from that graveside and to be able to say, my loved one is in God's hands. Most of the liturgies that we use when we're at the graveside will contain some part of this scripture right here, 1 Corinthians 15. As a pastor, whenever I use these words, this is what's going on in my mind. I'm reading these words out of 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm thinking, most of us gathered around this tent, we don't get this. We don't fully understand what's being said because it's got such depth to it, all right? I think that God's intention through Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is to do one thing and one thing well, and that's to bring us confidence that death is not an end. And that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the stinger of death has been removed. That's, that's the main thing he's trying to do. But in the meantime, he gives us some information that's kind of interesting. Kind of listen to these words. What does life on this new earth look like? All right, go to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
If there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In fact, we're even misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, who he didn't raise if he's not raised from the dead. Now go down to verse 20. Kind of play with these words with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now we, <clears throat> we just kind of read over that pretty fast. But think about this term. What does it mean for me to say to you, Jesus is the first fruits of those raised from the dead. The first fruits of those raised from the dead. What does that mean to you when I say it like that? Why does he use that language, first fruits? Okay, part of it could be the best is yet to come, right? We could say it that way. First fruits, the best ones. There's a, there's, a, there's a bigger meaning underneath it too, right? This idea of first fruits. Here's what he's saying is, is Christ is the first, first fruit like this. Never been a fruit like this before on planet Earth. It's been a bunch of fruits on Earth. Just saying. There's never been a fruit like this, okay? When Jesus is resurrected, okay, does he look the same as his pre-resurrection appearance? Does he appear to be the same? Or does he look different? Okay. So we have these disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? And they're walking along and Jesus joins them. Let me ask you this question. Did they recognize him? No. Okay. Jesus, when he comes to the upper room for the first time, walks through a wall. Has he done that before? Not really. I mean, he's walked on water and that kind of thing. But his body seems to be different, right? So when you say Jesus' resurrected body is the first kind of fruit like this, that's what Paul is saying. He's the first fruits. He's saying there's going to be more fruits to come. You're going to be like this one when the resurrection takes place. Now he goes on to kind of fill that out, what it means. Okay, verse 21, it says, as, as by one man came death, Adam, by one man has also come this resurrection from the dead. As in Adam, all will die. In Christ, all shall be made alive. That's interesting, isn't it? That all people, every person who's ever died, will be made alive in Jesus Christ. It's his command. As that trumpet blows, it's he who returns. Okay, verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. All right, did you know that? That in the resurrection, the first bodies that are raised up out of the graves and out of the crypts and out of the sea and out of the 50-yard line of the Nebraska football field and out of wherever we get dumped, right? The first ones are those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Those are the first bodies raised. Not till after those bodies will the bodies of those who did not believe in Jesus Christ be raised. They'll all be raised, okay? Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. 
He must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy, death. Um, now I'm going to skip you over just a, just a little bit. So we're raised up. Us believers, you're raised up first. Your soul that has been in heaven is now what? Comes into your body again. Is your body the same? First fruits. Go to verse 35. Now Paul starts flushing this out a little bit. He says, but someone's going to ask, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? In verse 36, I kind of like these words. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Well, what he's doing is responding to that person that says, well, how, how in the world can you have a resurrection? Because once you're dead, you're dead. He's saying, well, are you a fool? Don't you realize that when you take a seed and you put it into the ground, it's got to die to come to life. Death begets life. Of all the people in the United States, we in Nebraska ought to know that probably better than anyone else, right? Put that seed into the ground. He says, okay, verse 37, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, like sweet corn. Um, verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are, and he's, by the way, why is he saying that? He's just trying to make a distinction. He's saying, well, you know what? A fish's body is not the same as a bird's body. It's not the same as a cow's body. They're all different bodies. Verse 40 says, just like that, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. What you and I call beautiful, what you and I call strong, what you and I call, you know, this is, this is what a body should look like. Which has changed over the years, hasn't it? I mean, when you go back and you look at art, well, isn't there periods in history where people with a little bit of a a roll, a roll were like lifted up is that this is what you're supposed to look like? Isn't that true? You guys have looked at art, right? We long for those days. Yes. Okay. Well, what he's saying is what people call glory, what people say, this is it, this is beauty. He says, no, 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 there's a different kind of beauty. There's a greater kind of beauty. It's the glory of the heavenly body. Okay. Verse 41. There's one glory of the sun. And another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, the stars, the star differs from the star in glory, each different. Okay, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown as perishable, what is raised as imperishable. When you and I come into this world, we come knowing we're going to die. Okay, when we are raised up in the resurrection, our souls come into this body, you will no longer have death. It's been destroyed. Okay? Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. We're sown in dishonor. What does that mean? That, that actually when we come into this world, we don't have honor. Right? Why? 
We have shame. We have sin. We're born in sin. I don't come into this world neutral. I don't come into this world just kind of a blank slate and let's see if I'm going to sin. No, I come into this world with sin. Dishonor. Okay? It is raised in glory. Sinless. Why? Because we're raised in Jesus Christ. It is sown in weakness. We come into this world, we're weak compared to what we were intended to be. Okay? You would not have wanted to arm wrestle Adam. You would not have wanted to arm wrestle Adam. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. This is what's interesting to me. It's sown in natural body. This is our body now. It has raised up a spiritual body. So people will say to me, well, when, when my buddy, um, you know, Brian, in, a, in the wheelchair, when he dies, okay, so what kind of body will he have in the resurrection? I said, well, he's dying in a natural body. He's raised up in a spiritual body. And that spiritual body is a body that has been completed by God. In other words, it is without flaw. Now, we've got all kinds of questions that get asked over the course of our years, and we think of them. We're like, well, what about, you know, our miscarriage? And here's this baby that we never met and uh, never really got to see. And, but it's a person, right? We believe that. That's part of our, our historical story is that at conception, that that embryo is not just a thing, it's, it's a person known by God, okay? So that person known by God, but they were just an embryo, then they're flushed out, that they have a body? Yes. Can you tell me what that's going to look like? No. Why? Because I don't know. I can tell you what it will be raised as, a spiritual body. There will be a body there, okay? It will have some of the characteristics of the first fruit, Jesus could eat. He ate. And he could walk through a wall. Right? That's the spiritual body. So on new earth, your bodies will be present, but they will be completed, that is, without flaw. We can speculate, but that's all we can do. We can say, well, perhaps that, that, that embryo that was flushed out becomes a baby. Will there be babies on new earth? Yeah. Um... Perhaps that, that baby that died in birth is now, what, restored. Their body is a baby. But it's also a natural, spiritual body. It's not the same as the one that you die with, right? It's remade. So the resurrection is more than just pulling these bodies up, which I think a lot of us ought to find some comfort in that, right? I mean, um, I'm like, will I have all of my hair back? I mean... <laughs> some of it back or what's going to happen there but it, what God is saying to us is yeah what you call beauty today what you call beauty today the doxa of the of the earth is not the doxa of heaven it's not the glory of heaven your body will look different yeah it's a really good question the, the, the question is like with a miscarried baby which I never met I don't I don't know who they are will I know them will I be able to look at them and go oh you were my miscarried baby Again, it's one of those you, you, you don't know. Here's what you do know. Is you do know that uh, even now in heaven, people are bodyless. They're, they're souls. But they can recognize one another. Soul can recognize soul in heaven right now. Okay? Without the body. There seems to be in heaven, even though we're just souls there, an appearance. 
an appearance that I can look at and say, oh, okay, I see that person, okay? Though there is no person, no body there. I think the same thing is true on New Earth. When you have, in, in our case, a miscarried child and that child is given body, they're a baby. Um, well, I look at that person right away and say, that's my baby. I, I don't know. I don't know that that's true. Um, I think we would just be in the area of speculation there. What, is it possible that I would come to know? That would be very possible because I always think about this. On new earth, you're talking about eternity. There, there's no end of days. And you're talking about the presence of God. And you're talking about the presence of, of those who have been with God for centuries, right? And so will I come through others to know that was your child? Perhaps. Okay? Will it matter to me? I don't know. Right? Speculation. All we do know is they'll have a body, and it will be a spiritual body. Okay? Look at verse 44. It's sown a natural body. It has raised a spiritual body. Just keep telling yourself when you wake up in the morning. Right, J.D.? I wake up in the morning. I'm like, ow! My back hurts. I keep telling myself, I'm getting a new body. I'm getting a new body. Just keep telling yourself that over and over. When you stand on the scale and you look down, just keep telling yourself, I'm getting a new body. <laughs> I am getting a new body, right? Hey, Oprah Winfrey, she's my hero. You know what she said? She says, my doctor keeps telling me I got to get in shape. Hey, round is a shape. I'm like, amen to that, sister. He says, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, this is interesting, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So this is a really interesting language. The last Adam becomes a life-giving spirit. It's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man born of the earth, a man of the dust, the second man from heaven, as was the man of the dust, so are those who are, are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so are those. That's why Jesus is being called first fruits. It's really Paul saying, this is, this is the first one like this on earth. The first one to come out of the grave and not die again. Lazarus came out of the grave. He died again. He's the first one to never die again. And when he came out of the grave, he's the first to have a body. Just look at him in his post-resurrection appearances, that looks physical, that acts physical. You can touch my hand, Thomas, but I can walk through a wall. That's a spiritual body. And so our minds can't fully comprehend that, but in a completed way, we have spiritual bodies. What will our relationship be with one another? We'll take a quick look at that next week. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day.